Part 9, Three Redemptions, Chapter 33. Local Police Bust New York Crime Ring. It was Monday morning after the fire. Emily sat in the shade of the large pine trees next to the unfinished clubhouse. She held a page of the newspaper in her hands, and Heidi leaned over her shoulder to look at the pictures. Buddy sat against a tree nearby, his bandaged ankle propped up on a tree root. Michael and Terence paused from their work of sorting through piles of boards to listen as Emily read the article. After arresting a subject on Tuesday for the robbery of the jewelry shop on Main Street, police were present, presented with evidence, leading them to believe a larger group of criminals were at work, their target being the valuable collection of artwork, jewels, and antiques contained in the Hildebrandt house. Whoa! 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 interrupted Buddy. They're not going to give us any credit for figuring it all out for them? I guess it would be humiliating for them to admit a bunch of kids did their homework, answered Terrence. Keep reading, Emily. Emily bent her head over the article and found her place. To be on the safe side, local officers set up a guard at the Hildebrand estate Thursday night in advance of the auction that was to be held on Friday. Shortly after midnight, deputies seized the ringleader, Tyrone Sims, also known as Iceman, who came down from New York City to make the pickup. Also arrested were his accomplices, who had set up shop in Woodsville two months ago, using their ice cream store on Main Street as a disguise for their undercover operations. After the criminals were arrested, local authorities discovered these four were wanted by the FBI for at least 18 robberies in six other states. Thanks to the Law Enforcement Department of Woodsville, these four criminals will be taken off the streets permanently. Nathan Holmes, the man arrested after the robbery at the jewelry store, was released this morning when officers determined he was not connected in any way to the crime. All the Hildebrandt a state jewelry was recovered, and the auction to raise money for our new town library will now take place this coming Friday and Saturday. Emily finished reading and looked up, a happy smile on her face. I cannot wait to finally see inside the Hildebrandt house. Won't that be exciting, Heidi? She said. Heidi nodded, pressing her hands tightly together. I'm glad they let homeless Joe out. So, I wonder where Nathan is now, said Michael, reaching to scratch Sebastian behind his ears. The big dog raised his head and looked toward the stream. Then, in a flash, he jumped up and raced away from them at top speed. He leaped across the stream in one bound and threw himself at the man who stood at the edge of the woods just beyond. It's Nathan, gasped Heidi, scrambling quickly to her feet. The children watched as the man, once more in his hooded jacket, greeted Sebastian with enthusiasm that matched the dogs. The children noticed he had gotten a haircut and trimmed his beard. Finally, he looked back in their direction. Mind if I come over? he asked. Not at all. Welcome back, said Michael with a happy grin. Nathan stepped across the stream and came to join them, keeping one hand on Sebastian's head. Looks like you took good care of my dog. He did great, Michael told him, but he wouldn't eat anything. Maybe he will now since you're back. Poor guy, 
said Nathan, looking down at his dog. Then he glanced around the clubhouse. Looks like you still got some work to do, he said. Terrence nodded. We don't know how much, much about putting up windows and doors. Nathan's eyes crinkled at the corners as he smiled again. Well, it appears I owe you kids quite a bit. More than I could really ever pay, he said. As I do happen, and I do happen to know something about windows and doors. He looked at Michael. Your dad tells me there's been some fire damage at the carriage house where I've been staying. Did you get, did he give you the key? Michael asked. Nathan nodded and patted his pocket. Do you kids want to go with me to check everything out? He asked. Michael looked at Terrence and Buddy. None of them had been back to the Hildebrand estate since the night of the fire. Slowly, they nodded. I hear you boys had an adventure over there, Nathan said. Michael ducked his head. Nothing we're proud of, sir, he answered. Well, said Nathan, can't say I'm proud of some of the things I've done either, but here I am. The five children followed Nathan and his dog up the trail toward the Hildebrandt estate, Buddy swinging along on his crutches behind the rest. When they reached the Bellows' house, Heidi ran inside to tell her mother where they were going. Soon they arrived at the back door of the carriage house. So that's where the fire was, said Nathan, standing back to look at the blackened bricks and charred roof beside the door. You boys were lucky to get out. Buddy saved us, said Michael. He played your organ and the police heard it. Good thinking, Nathan said, grinning. That organ will shake the leaves off the trees. We know, laughed Buddy. It sure had us shaken the first time we came over here. Nathan unlocked the door and they all went in. The sharp smell of smoke stung their noses, bringing back fearful memories for the three boys. Nathan left the door standing open to let the fresh air circulate. The chair that had tripped Buddy still lay on its side in the middle of the floor, along with the tangle of rope Pete had used to tie him up. I hope your organ is okay, said Heidi softly. We'll find out in a minute, Nathan said, going over to the center work table. He flipped the switch to turn on the motor and then walked to where the three keyboards stood. Taking a deep breath, he straightened his shoulders, closed his eyes, and began to play. Immediately, deep, harmonious tones filled the room as though a choir of angel warriors were chanting a battle hymn. The sound seemed to grow out of the floor and walls of the room, passing through the children's bodies as though they themselves were made of only air. Heidi hugged her arms to her chest and could not keep the tears from her eyes. It was nearly too beautiful to endure. After just a few phrases, Nathan suddenly stopped playing. Do you hear that tapping? He asked them. That means the tune is off in some of the pipes because of the smoke. I'll have to take them apart and clean them, and then tune and voice them. How long will that take? Asked Emily. Nathan shook his head and pushed his hand through his hair. Long enough. He answered with a sigh. This will set me back, that's for sure. I can't even think about going home until I've restored this organ and sell it. And I'm pretty sure who's ever in charge of the Hildebrandt project won't go for the idea of me camping out in here for another few months. He leaned against the table and hung his head. 
Not that it matters. Even if I sell this thing, I doubt my brother will ever want to see my face again. How can we help you so it will go faster? Asked Michael. Nathan shrugged and turned around. I'll have to spend some time figuring out how bad the damage is before I can tell, he said. For the time being, we may as well go work on your clubhouse. Then this day will not be a complete waste. Before they left the carriage house, Nathan emptied the pockets of his jacket, dropping some papers, a pocket knife, and the small Bible Pastor Thomas had given him on his cot. Have you been reading that? Michael asked. Some, said Nathan. But I'm pretty sure that I'm too far gone for God to want anything to do with me. No one is too far gone, said Michael. But Nathan turned away as though he hadn't heard. Chapter 34 Dad, you should hear Nathan play the organ, Michael said to his father at dinner that night. It sounds incredible. I mean, I've heard the organ at our church all my life. But this organ, it almost it's almost like a completely different instrument. Well, it is. Sort of, his father answered. Our organ at church is an electric organ. Nathan's organ is a pipe organ. We should buy that organ for our church, Dad, Michael said, spinning spaghetti noodles around his fork. I'm telling you, it's amazing. You've got to hear it. Pastor Thomas smiled. I'm sure it does sound amazing, which is why it would probably cost more than our church is willing to spend on a new organ. We are in need of a new one, however. The organ repairman said ours is on its last leg. See, it's meant to be, insisted Michael, and that would help Nathan out so he could make things right with his brother and go back home. Michael's mother reached for the salad bowl. Honey, I think Nathan's problems with his brother probably go far beyond anything money could fix, she said. Michael made a face. I know, he said, sighing. But you could at least talk to Nathan about the organ, Dad. He's really discouraged about everything. Pastor Thomas nodded. I could at least do that, he agreed. Maybe I'll go pay him a visit tomorrow afternoon, then. I'd like to hear this organ for myself. The next morning, Willow Valley echoed with the sounds of an axe chopping wood. The key to installing windows and doors is having plenty of shims announced Nathan as he lifted the hand axe. In his other hand, he held a short board propped up on a flat stone. He brought the axe sharply down, and a thin slice of wood split, splint away from the side of the board and fell to the ground. Why do you need shims? asked Buddy, always curious to know how things worked. You'll see soon enough, Nathan answered. When the pile of shims had grown large enough for his liking, Nathan set the axe aside. Now, yesterday we built the frame for the windows and the door, he told the children. Today we put them into place. Let's start with this window. Boys, help me hoist it into the frame. Together, they lifted the first window into its proper position. As Michael and Terrence held it steady, Nathan stepped back to have a look at it. It looks all crookedy observed Emily. I don't think it's going to work. The windows are too old. 
Nathan tilted his head and squinted at her. That's nearly exactly what my brother would say, he said. Get rid of the old stuff, Nathan. It's just junk. It's always best to build new. What's your brother's name? Buddy wanted to know. He sat next to Sebastian on the pine straw in the shade, his crutches lying down beside him. Drake the Perfect, answered Nathan. Drake did everything your parents probably tell you to do. Brush your teeth and floss, eat your vegetables, do your homework, go to church. So he grew up to be exactly what my parents wanted him to be. And believe me, he has no use for old things. Nathan leaned down and picked up a handful of shims. Problem is, he continued, there's lots of beauty and rare quality in many old things. Just look at these windows here. The craftsmanship is superb. Did the builder use cheap, soft pine for these windows? No, sir. He used the best, hard, durable walnut. See these dents and scars? Those are from the builder's own tools as he took the time to do it right, to make something that would last. Now, why would we throw these windows out and buy something cheap and flimsy up at the hardware store? So then, said Emily, how will you make it fit? Nathan grinned and held up the wood pieces in his hands. Shims, he said. Watch this. Quickly, he stuck the end of one of the thin pieces of wood into the gap between the old window and its new frame. He tapped it gently with his hammer until it lifted the corner of the window, causing it to sit square and level in the frame. Taking more shims, he continued tapping them into the gaps all around the window until it wouldn't budge. The ends of the shims that poked out from the frame, he easily snapped off, leaving a clean edge. There, he said. Now we just board up the edges and we're all done. Wow, said Michael, stepping out of the clubhouse to admire Nathan's work. Welcome to the magic of shims, Nathan told him. They have the power to make old things new again. In a short time, they installed the second window and then went to work on the Dutch door. This proved to be even more challenging as some of the boards in the door were warped and crooked. How will you fix that? Terence was curious to know. Nathan tapped the boards and looked at them closely. Taking a thin card out of his pocket, he tried to slide it between the boards that were warped, but the card would not fit in the crack. If this were my door, he told the children, I would leave it just as it is. It is still weather tight, and it still works. I kind of like how it looks. It has character. And so that's what they did. Soon all that was left to be done was painting the outside of the small building and wiring it for electricity. I love it, exclaimed Emily, going inside and then coming back out for the fourth time. It's perfect. Look, Heidi, it's just big enough for a little table and chairs over there. And we can put a small bookshelf over here. Women, said Terence, rolling his eyes but his face showed that he too was immensely pleased with the new home for their club. Nathan was gathering up his tools to leave. So now we come and help you clean the organ? asked Michael. Nathan straightened up and made a face. Nah, he said. I think I'm giving up on that project. What? exclaimed Buddy. But you're nearly done. 
It just needs to be cleaned. And then you can sell it the way you planned. Nathan shook his head. I thought about it a lot last night, he told them. It's going to take me a lot more work to get it ready to sell, and one of these days someone will surely tell me to get out of the carriage house. Even if I did finish the organ, I don't know who would buy it, and it probably won't make the kind of money I need anyway. He sighed and then continued. Last but not least, even if I got good money for it, I'm pretty sure my brother won't have anything to do with me. So, what's the point of trying? I should just leave the organ for whoever wants it, buy a bus ticket, and move on. Move on to where? asked Terrence. Nathan gave him a lopsided smile that looked more sad than happy. To wherever, he answered. Suddenly, Heidi, who hardly ever felt brave enough to speak to people she didn't know well, had something to say. That's not fair, she said in a clear voice. Nathan looked at her in surprise. What's not fair? He asked. Heidi lifted her chin. You're deciding everything for yourself instead of giving your family the chance to make up their own minds. You've decided they don't want you. But what if they really do? What if they miss you terribly and wouldn't and would do anything to have you back? You should at least ask them. For a long moment, Nathan looked at her, his arms hanging loose at his sides. Buried in the dark emptiness of his eyes, there flickered the deep pain of hope. Out of the mouth of babes, he finally mumbled, bending down to pick up his hammer. Then he looked at her briefly. I'll give it some thought, he said. He left them there and strode quickly up the hill with Sebastian following faithfully behind. The children called out their thanks as they watched him go, their hearts aching for him to find his own place called home in God's kingdom.